0: Kids it's time for children's church. Have your Bibles this morning open to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 or if you have you version on your phone you can go to the events and follow uh, follow us or follow along with us on that. And as you're getting to Galatians chapter 6, uh, over the past five weeks, we have been going through this letter, uh, the letter to these Gentile believers in uh, the area of Galatia, to these different churches uh, that he was sending this letter to. And the name of the series, as we've been going through it, is Standing on Grace. And it's been this idea that you know, Paul has been really putting out in this letter Paul's trying to address an issue that these gentile believers are going through some of them are starting to be led astray, some of them are starting to uh, turn to the law because these Jewish believers are coming in saying it's not by grace alone; it's also by the law, and you have to follow the law, especially this idea of circumcision. You must be circumcised if you are to be saved. and And Paul's addressing them by saying, "No, this is not the case. And if you are led astray and you start to believe in this way of thinking, you are moving." out of being an heir of Christ into into slavery. You were once slaves to false gods, to, to false religions, you gave your life to him and now you're being led right back in to slavery, slavery of a different kind. And so Paul's been addressing them about the law and the fact that the law, you know, while it served its purpose for a time, the law, all it does is point out your flaws, it points out your sins, it points out the mistakes that you've made. The law cannot save you. The only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ, the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. And last week in Galatians 5, we talked about the fact that our freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. Nothing else can provide you with freedom. Nothing else you know, that you put your faith in, and maybe it's our jobs or relationships. Those things cannot save us. We cannot find freedom in those things. No, freedom is only found in Jesus And so Paul addresses this by saying, here's the deal, you need help, and that help you need is the Holy Spirit. You have to desire the Holy Spirit and want the Holy Spirit and ask for the Holy Spirit, and you have to invite Him in. The Holy Spirit, it's not just a thing, you receive the Holy Spirit and you say, okay, do this for me and I'm going to sit back. No, you have to rely on the Spirit. You have to invite Him in, you have to let Him come in and guide you and give you direction because here's the truth. We have two natures that are at war within us. We have this godly nature, this desire to do right, this desire to do what God calls us to do in his word. But at the same time, we have this sinful nature that desires worldly things. It desires the things of the flesh. And these natures are at war within us and we need the Spirit to help guide us, to help lead us, because here's the truth, again, what you do, who you believe in, what nature you let win, bears fruits. The acts of the flesh, we read about them, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, all these different things that are acts of the flesh. And these things lead to disaster. These things lead over time. If you're into these things habitually, if there's no guilt, no remorse, no shame, eventually you will miss out on the kingdom of God. And yet there's an opposite to this, the fruits of the Spirit. We know them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These things are the fruit that the Spirit produces within us. And so we need to live by the Spirit, do everything by the Spirit, desire the Spirit, ask the Spirit into our lives and ask Him to lead us, guide us, direct us. Because He does all these things. He helps us in our time of weakness. He He intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to say. We need the Spirit in our life. And this morning, we're coming to the end of this letter But before we end, Paul has a couple more things he would like for us to remember. A few things that we need to to place in our heart and to to think about often. And so that's where we're going to be this morning in Galatians chapter 6 as we finish this letter up. We're going to start with the first ten verses and I just want to lay it out right at the beginning here. The first thing that Paul is going to tell us, the thing he's going to remind us of, is the fact that we are all called to help others. We are all called to help others. And you see, we do this in different ways, and Paul lays these out for us. Here are some different things that we must do in regards to helping others. And the first thing that we are to do when it comes to helping others is to restore those who are in sin. We are called to help restore those who are in sin. This is what chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, Brothers and sisters, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. This idea of someone caught in a sin. It's this idea that carries this idea of someone who is running from sin. They are trying to get away from sin. They're fleeing from sin. They're trying to avoid sin. And yet, eventually, sin has caught them. Sin has caught a hold of them. Sin has caught up with them. And now, they are trapped in this sin. They've been caught. And so, we are called as believers. Those who live by the Spirit are called To restore, to help restore that person caught in sin. The word translated here for restore, it's a word that's used in secular culture as setting a broken bone. But in the New Testament, it's often referred to as mending a fishing net. And so the idea of this word restore. It means to help fix what has been broken, to help fix what has been torn. It's our responsibility to help fix what has been broken, to set that back and to mend what has been torn. And the job of this falls to a person who is in the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, producing the fruits of the Spirit. We have... The obligation we have the responsibility if we are living by the spirit, if we have the spirit in us, if we are producing the fruit of the spirit to help someone who is caught in sin, somebody who is struggling with sin, first Corinthians chapter two, verse fifteen tells us the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human. Judgments, And what Paul is saying here when he says the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, this is the idea that the spirit produces in us the ability to discern, to discern what is right, to discern what is wrong, to see when our brothers and sisters are doing something that they shouldn't be doing. We see the discernment in us because of the spirit. We are able to go to them and say, hey, listen, I see what you're doing. I see what you're going through. Man, you need to turn away from that. You need to repent from that. You need to turn back to Jesus. Get away from what you're doing. And he says that this must be done with gentleness and with the understanding that we ourselves can fall into sin. You see, it doesn't really make much sense for us to go to somebody who is caught in sin and just start yelling at them because of their sin. That would make no sense if I walked up to you and said, man, it is really disappointing to me that you are doing this. You are sinning. You're awful. You shouldn't do this. This is horrible. And you just go and you start yelling at them over and over again. This does no good. Why does this do no good? Because we forget that we're no different. We're no different. Watch yourselves or you may be tempted. And... It takes a little bit of maturity and discernment to know, man, I've got to, if I've got to do this, if I'm being called to, to help someone, I have to do this with gentleness, but I also have to do it with understanding that I'm no different, that I can fall into the exact same sin, that I can do the exact same thing that you are doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. You know, sometimes I was talking to David Farley about this last night, texting back and forth about this passage, and he brought up a good point. You know, I was talking to him about it, and he goes, "And We may not all be the right person to help restore somebody. And that's the Holy Spirit leading us, discernment in us to know, maybe I'm not the right person to help deal with this because I have struggled with the same sin. I have struggled with the same problem. Maybe it's not for me to be the one to help this person. So we pray for the person who is the right person to help them through this. Holy Spirit discerning in us this ability to help those who are in sin. And this is a metaphor that Paul is using. And so I ask the question, why would Paul use this metaphor? Why is he using this metaphor of somebody who is caught in sin and need to be restored? Well, I think the thing is this, Paul is showing us this because nothing shows the problem of legalism more than how they respond to the sins of others. Read about how the religious leaders handled the sins of the people around them and you see the problem with legalism. John chapter 8 verses 3 through 6 is a good example of this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Paul had this happen. Acts chapter 21, 27 through 29. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city which Paul had Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. You see, the religious leaders, they didn't try to help people out of their sin. No, they use it as a way to rebuke them, to punish them for what they've done. Our job as believers should be the opposite of that. Our mindset should be to help restore those who are in sin. Then Paul continues in verses two through five, and the second thing he tells us that we can do to help others is to carry the burdens of others. We are called to carry the burdens of others. This is what it says in verses 2 through 5. It says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul's continuing his thoughts here from verse 1 and how we are to deal with those who are in a struggle and we are to carry the burdens of others. We have the responsibility and the obligation believers to pray for and encourage one another. It is our job as brothers and sisters in Christ to help build others up, help strengthen our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We have this responsibility because if we do this, it fulfills the law of Christ. And what is this law? John thirteen thirty four. a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What better way to show love for your brother and sister in Christ than to pray for them, encourage them, build them up, strengthen them, and be somebody that they can come to and talk to and know that they're not going to be judged, know that they're not going to get a bunch of just hate thrown at them. No, our job is to encourage one another, to build one another up. But here's the deal. Something has to be lost in order for this to take place. For this to work, something must be given up, and that is self-conceit. Verse 3 lays out this idea that if we think we are above the same mistakes, above failing, then we ourselves can be deceived because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, we all stumble, we all make mistakes. You see, the religious leaders, they looked at the sins of others as an opportunity to boast in themselves, to, to brag about the kind of person they were. Man, those people are the worst. Those people's sins are the worst. Those people's mistakes are the worst. I am not nearly as bad as that person. The religious leaders would use the sins of those around them to to puff themselves up. And so Paul says to the believers, don't don't let yourself be deceived. Don't let yourself think that, that you are better than those around you because of their mistakes. No. Instead, he tells them, you are to test your actions test your actions test uh, your works to make sure we're to test our actions and make sure that they're right that they're pure that they are good motives i think what paul is is saying here is don't try to hold others up if your attitudes are wrong Don't try to make others look bad at your own expense. I am a better person than that person because they do this and I don't do that. I'm a better person because of what you do. My sin is not nearly as bad. And if that's how our actions are, if we're trying to help others, but with this mindset that, man, I'm going to look good for helping this person who's worse than me. It's horrible attitude romans twelve three reminds us for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Test yourselves, and then it says you can take or then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. What does this mean? What does this verse mean? Well, the word for pride here is actually translated to mean personal exaltation and not uh the pride that we would consider to be sinful you see our goal is to look at what christ is doing in our own lives in our individual lives and we can rejoice in the fact that if we, test our, if we test our works, if we test our attitudes, and our mindset is, I'm going to do what God has called me to because this is what He wants me to do. This is the gifts that He has given me to use to do what He has asked me to do. Then we can boast in Jesus and what He has done through us. We can be used by God knowing that, hey, we're not all about making ourselves look better. No, we're all about helping those around us and putting others first. Romans twelve ten reminds us, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Then we come to verse 5, and it tells us that each one should carry their own load. This seems kind of contradictory, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible tells us that we're to bear others' burdens, but then it's telling us here that we are to carry our own load. What does this mean? Well, it's not really a contradiction, The word for burden in verse two, it carries the idea of a heavy load, something that one cannot carry on his own. And I remember working in retail and whenever we would have to take stuff out for people, there was always a, a sign on the box that would say team lift because that was their way of saying, hey, guess what? You cannot carry this on your own. You need help to carry this. You need somebody to come alongside you and carry this out to that car. That's what this means here in verse 2, this heavy load, something that someone cannot carry on his own. The word for this in verse 5 is the idea of a soldier carrying his pack. A soldier had the obligation to carry his own pack, and in our lives we have different responsibilities, different tasks, different things that we are called to carry that others cannot carry. It's ours to carry it's spiritual things. Some of us have different callings than others. We all have the same calling to go and make disciples, but our callings can be different in the way in which we do that, in the way we serve. We have different responsibilities that have been given to us. I like how Warren Wiersbe describes it. He says, I can help a brother or sister in Christ by taking their kids to school if they're having car problems, but I cannot become their father. That's the responsibility of their father, to be that father for them. And it's the same for us. We have different responsibilities, different tasks. We may have the same goal, but we have different burdens to carry that are our own. Luckily, Jesus has told us those burdens that he puts on us, those spiritual burdens, those burdens are light. Matthew 11.30 tells us that. And so it is our responsibilities as believers to help other believers carry their burdens. And are you praying for your brothers and sisters? Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters? Are you reaching out to your brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are going through something? And are you loving on them? We have this responsibility to lift one another up. Proverbs 27, 17 reminds us, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need one another. We have to carry the burdens of others. Then he continues in verse 6, And it's another thing that we can do to help others. And it's this idea that we share with those who minister. We share with those who minister. Verse 6 tells us this. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructors. You know, this phrase, share all good things, it could mean different things. It could mean wisdom. It could mean um, advice. It could mean a lot of different things. But the word share here is the same word that's often used to describe financial giving. Examples of this, Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Philippians 4, 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And so... Paul is saying here, we have a responsibility to share with those who minister. And, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 7-14. He says, "...who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes, who tends a flock and does not drink the milk. Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain." Surely, he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with everything or anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. See, here's the deal. I think that we should be helping uh, support those who are doing ministry in various ways. There are different people who are out there ministering, sharing the gospel, and we have an obligation to help support them financially as they do so. Now, here's the deal. I want to put in a little bit of a caveat here. We need to be careful who we give to. We need to be careful who we support when we support those who minister. Are they preaching the true gospel? Are they preaching according to scripture? Or are they preaching a fake gospel that is leading people astray? If you hear ads or if you see things on TV telling you you have to give, you have to do this in order to receive blessings from God, you have to do this if you are going to do this. You, no. No, we don't give to people who are leading people astray. But support those who are ministering, sharing the gospel, leading people to Jesus with the one true word of God, leading people with the scriptures. We have this obligation to to support them. And I tell people all the time, support missions, support people who are running ministry organizations, who are preaching the gospel, who are, are helping people who are in need. But be careful who you give to. Then he continues on in verses 7 through 10. And one important thing that we need to remember is don't give up serving others. Don't give up serving others. This is what it says in verses 7 through 10. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so right here at the beginning, he talks about this fact that a man reaps what he sows. And the truth is, there's consequences to what we do. There are consequences to our actions. You remember being a kid once, and you would do something you weren't supposed to, and guess what? There was consequence for your action. Maybe, you know, you got the paddle. Maybe you got grounded. Maybe uh, you were told you couldn't do this, and, and there were consequences for your actions. There, there was a consequence for what you did. And that's how it works. There's consequences today for our actions. And so here's what he says. A man will reap what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. We talked about it last week. These sins of the flesh, these things that will, uh, if they're habitual, it's it's just the way we live and there's no guilt, there's no remorse, there's no shame, and we just keep doing it. Guess what? Over time, we're going to reap destruction from that. But if we are living in the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap eternal life. I don't know about you, but to me eternal life sounds pretty amazing. Eternal life spent with God sounds much better than the things that the flesh offers us. And this, again, is why we need the Spirit to help make sure that we keep that sinful nature at bay as best as possible. And then he makes this statement, Let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not become weary in doing good. The word for this phrase carries the idea of a farmer who has become fatigued. This farmer has tried over and over and over again and has been sowing his seed, has been, has been planting the seed and he's, he's trying as hard as he can and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and no harvest is coming, nothing is, is happening and he's just trying over and over again and he's just become fatigued. And I think sometimes we fall into this boat. We serve, and we serve, and we've asked the question, God, where is the harvest? I have been serving you. I've been doing what you asked me to do. I've been faithful to you, and I see nothing happening. There is, I'm reaping no reward. I don't see anything of what I'm doing. And you're serving, and you're serving, and you're serving, and you feel like you're not doing any good. And we start to give up, and we just want to quit serving God. And trust me, I understand this. I can speak to this with experience. And there was a part of my life that I spent in ministry that, man, it it made me want to quit. I remember the, the nights I would come home on a Wednesday night or the morning I would come home on a Sunday and I would just start bawling my eyes out and I would tell Kay, if this is ministry, I don't want to do it anymore. And there was a part in my life where I was saying, I'm done. I'm done serving. I'm done helping. I'm done ministering. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm not giving up my faith. I'm not giving up going to church, but I don't want to have anything to do with ministry. If this is all ministry is, is me just trying my hardest and nothing is happening. I feel like I'm making no difference. And if you would have asked me, even just a few years ago, do you think you'll ever be back in ministry full time? I would have told you no. I would have told you no. I was done with that, and it made me want to quit, and and I, it was it was difficult. But I'm you know what? I'm glad that God kept pushing, uh, in my life kept letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide because I don't think I would have ever ended up here if it wasn't. And you know I remember you know, I didn't want to be involved with anything. I was getting burned out. I didn't want to be involved in ministry, but I went to camp at Hidden Haven one year and i had already had a plan in my mind. This was going to be the end. I was going to go to camp. And then when I got back, I was done. I was done with ministry. And I remember in the cabin meeting a fellow pastor who was there, a guy named Terry Harmon. And I just got to spend time talking with him and eventually and he told me man don't give up just keep doing what you're doing i don't think i would have ever ended up here if it wasn't for that the reason i say all of this is because i understand what it's like to be fatigued and not want to do it anymore and get to that point where you want to give up and you want to quit but i think paul here gives some good advice second thessalonians 3 13 and as for you brothers and sisters never tire of doing what is good 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not vain. And so he says, Don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think it's talking about this eternal reward that we will receive if we stay faithful if we stay strong if we stay in the lord if we keep doing what he asks us to do we will reap this eternal reward but here's the thing i think it's more than just an eternal reward because sometimes i believe that we may not always see the fruits of our labor until that day when we receive our eternal reward we may not see the fruits of the things that that we have been doing that sometimes i think god gives us glimpses of what he is doing through us And the same time I was crying and and thinking, man, I'm done with ministry, I remember going to that same camp where I met Terry Harmon, and in my family group that I had, me and Kay had, we met a girl in that family group who was new to the church, and she was still trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. And I remember just from that camp on, this this girl she gave her life to to Jesus Christ and we stayed up with her. We we would always ask her, Ann, how are you doing? We're praying for you. We how how's life? How's school? And she gave her life to Christ and she was involved and and she was trying to serve in her church any way she could. And I thought it was an awesome thing when she sent us an invite to her high school graduation and we we went to her graduation party, and then it was cool that when we went to her party and she told us, I'm going to Ozark Christian College, I want to be in ministry. And she went on and she she got her degree from Ozark, and she's she's doing ministry, and we went to her college graduation and watched her stand up there. The same girl who wasn't sure she was going to ever give her life to Christ. And then... We got an invite a couple of months ago. I'm getting married. Can you come? And in a couple of weeks, we're going to our wedding. And it's just amazing to see what God has done in this life. And so sometimes I feel like if you keep doing what is good, if you keep serving God, if you keep laboring, even when you feel like quitting, I think sometimes God gives you glimpses of what he is doing through you, through your work, through your ministry. So don't give up serving others. Don't stop doing good for others because while you may never see what happens, you may be planting the seed, you may be watering the seed, you may be helping it grow. You don't know how God is using you in that moment. But do not give up helping people around you. Man, when I think of this, I think of Paul. I think of Paul and his life and his ministry and all the things that he was going through, all the beatings, all the, all the shame, all the scorn that was thrown at him, everything that was happening in his life, he kept preaching, he kept ministering, he kept serving, he kept doing what God called him to do and all he wanted was to receive that eternal reward. He makes the statement, man, I am ready to go, but guess what? Because of you, because of your need to hear this gospel, I will stay and I will keep doing what God has called me to do don't give up helping others help others help your brothers and sisters in christ and help those who don't know yet how much they are loved don't stop serving others then he continues on to finish up this letter and continues in verse 11 he says see what large letters i use as i write to you with my own hand this is one of Kay's favorite verses, actually. You can ask her why, but this is, this is one of her favorite verses. You see, the thing about this, why does he write this? Often, Paul would some, have somebody scribe his letters for him, but he would always come in at the end and, and write the last part of his letters to encourage them to uh, send this farewell to him. And, and so why does he make this statement, See what large letters I use. Some say it's because he was blind and he was starting to lose his sight and he was writing in larger letters because he was just trying to see what he was writing. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think the case is he was writing in uppercase letters, large letters, to add emphasis on the words that he was writing, on the things that he wanted them to know. Because he does say some very profound things as we finish up. In verses 12 through 13, he makes these comments. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So Paul is telling them, these people who have been trying to lead you astray, these people who have been trying so hard to tell you that you need to be circumcised, circumcised, there's reasons for this. Well, the first reason is they're trying to impress people. They're trying to impress people. They wanted to look good on the outside. They wanted people to see their attempts to convert people and say, look at them, they're doing a lot of good things. It was all about trying to impress people. The second reason they were trying to lead people astray is because they were afraid of persecution. They wanted the Christians to believe that they were Christians, but they also wanted the legalists to believe that they were in agreement with them in regards to the cross. You see, these believers were being persecuted because of their belief in the cross, and they were seeing this and saying, I don't want the same persecution to fall on me, and so I'm going to say I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with that, or you have to follow the law. The Judaizers, they wanted to avoid that. And then, thirdly, they wanted to boast in their numbers. They weren't following the law. They wanted people to follow the law, but they themselves weren't following the law. It would be like if I came up to you and said, Hey, I want you to please do this and this and this, but I'm not going to do the same thing it doesn't make any sense. They they weren't actually following the law, but they wanted these people to follow the law. They wanted to boast in the fact that they were getting people to follow the law. Paul's like, that's why they've been trying so hard. They've been doing it for false reasons. So in verse 14 through 16, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. You see, Paul didn't want to boast in his accomplishments. Paul had all the reasons in the world to boast. He was intelligent. He had all this wisdom. He was a religious leader. Uh, he, He could have had all of these things to boast in, but he doesn't boast in any of these things. No, he boasts in the cross. He says that the world has been crucified to him. This means that Paul has laid aside all of the things of this world. The desire of the flesh, the accolades, none of those things mattered to Paul. None of those things were important to Paul. What was important to Paul was Jesus Christ and the cross and what he did for us on that cross. That's what mattered. It wasn't the desires of the flesh. It wasn't the things that he had done. It was none of that. None of those things mattered to him anymore. Here is what mattered. It wasn't circumcision It wasn't uncircumcision. None of those things matter. No, what counts is the new creation. This new creation that came through Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so Paul is going to wrap up in the last two verses. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. You see, people have been challenging Paul's position as an apostle. At the beginning of Galatians, he he lays out his defense for why he is an apostle, the reason he has the credibility that he has. And so here he's saying... Let's let this end. No more. No more of this. No more wondering, am I an apostle? No more wondering if I'm a believer of Jesus. No more. This, it's time for this to die. And here's why the marks on my body show my credibility. The marks on my body show my heart for Jesus, my passion for Jesus, my calling in life, my marks. They show, they show who I believe in. The marks on his body are a sign of the fact that he belongs to Jesus, and actually uh the word they use for this, it's kind of like you would see a brand on a cattle, that mark that shows they belong to Jesus. you see for or that they belong to a certain people. It's the same marks that we have to show that we belong to Jesus, and this is what Paul says. his scars were from this persecution he endured for the sake of Christ. Listen to the second Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty three through twenty seven Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in In danger at the sea and in danger from false believers i have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep i have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food i have been cold and i have been naked man you can't look at paul and say paul you have no right to speak to me the way you do no paul understood greatly his task his calling his mission his purpose and he ends, with a, as he begins, with a blessing of grace on these people. And here's where I want us to end this morning. I want us to end the same way his letter ends. And the point that Paul has been making throughout this whole letter is simple. We are a new creation through Christ. We are a new creation through Christ. Our works, the things we try to find freedom in outside of Christ, none of those things can save us. None of those things can give us what we actually need. The only thing that can save our lives is Jesus Christ. And we need Jesus in our lives. Titus 3 3 through 6 tells us at one time we too were foolish disobedient deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another but when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the holy spirit whom he poured out on us generously through jesus christ our savior We are a new creation through Christ. Our only hope, our only chance of salvation is through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I want us to think about this question. Are you a part of that new creation? Are you a part of that new creation? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you put your hope, your faith, and your trust in Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to put your faith into things that are going to just leave you empty? You see, there are a lot of promises made by the world, but none of these things will save you. The things that the world promises you that will save you, they they do nothing. They cannot save you. Jesus Christ is the only way. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. If you've given your life to Christ, are you helping others the way you should? Are you helping your brothers and sisters who are caught up in sin? Are you, are you walking beside them? Are you telling them about the love of Jesus? Are you trying to help them out of those, those struggles that they're in? Are you trying to help carry the burdens that are on them? Are you helping those who minister? Are you are you in a fight? Are you tempted to give up? Don't give up. Don't give up serving people. Don't give up helping people because not only will you reap a reward that is hev- a reward that is heavenly and you don't know what your works are doing, what God is doing through you. You don't know what's happening around you. You may be planting seeds. You may be watering seeds. You may be helping those seeds grow. You may not see right now the, the the harvest that is growing, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And keep serving. And so if you're here this morning and you have a decision to make, you can write it on your Connect card. I'd love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you, and you just need to spend some time talking with talking with your Savior, talking with the Holy Spirit, making sure that, man, am I helping others? Am I, are you testing yourselves to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons? And so this morning, if you have a decision to make or you need to spend time in prayer, please do so as we stand and we sing.